know, all of us, we're, we've got a lot going on in our lives. There's, there's relationships to maintain. There's mortgages to pay. There's jobs to work. There's school to complete. There's problems to solve. We all have a lot going on. And so we wonder, what difference does the resurrection make? Well, that's a good question. And by grace this morning, we are going to answer that question in and through the Word of God. So let me ask you, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you take it and open it to Acts chapter 13? And if you don't have your uh, copy of God's Word this morning, when I read in just a moment, it will be projected on the screen for you. Um, but, but let me just take a moment to set the context for what we're about to drop into here this morning, because that's always important. So we understand what's going on in the story. So this is a narrative. Acts is the story of God's expanding work as the kingdom grows. After the resurrection, Jesus commissioned his people to go and take the good news of the gospel, of his resurrection, to go into many lands and continue to expand the kingdom. So what we're dropping into here in Acts 13 is the Apostle Paul and a friend of his, Barnabas, They're on a trip. They're about 500 miles north of Jerusalem, and they're speaking in a synagogue. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was asked to share something, so he stands and he speaks in a Jewish synagogue. He's speaking to Jewish people. Now, what happened to most of the Jewish people? They did not. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul is speaking in such a way so as to persuade them of two primary things. Number one, of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And number two, of the many benefits that flow from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul begins the story, as you'll hear in just a moment, by recounting for them the final week of Jesus and the rejection that he experienced at the hand of the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. And then he talks about how he was resurrected in glory. So let's read again. This is Acts 13. I'm starting at verse 26. And as I start to read, I remind us all, this is God's powerful, holy, pure, true word. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, Jesus, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David." 
Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. May the Lord bless the proclamation and preaching of His holy word this morning. I'm seeking on the basis of God's word, not my own opinion, to answer two crucial questions. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And secondly, what difference does that make in my life on April 9th of 2023. The reason that I say on the basis of the Word of God is because you could be going all kinds of places this morning to hear the opinions of some dude. You don't want to hear the opinions of some dude. You want to rest the facts on the pure, unadulterated Word of the Lord. Because if we believe this Word is trustworthy, and we do, then we bank our eternal future on the words contained in this word. And so I want to show you from Scripture, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Secondly, what practical difference does this make in your life? So question number one, question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Paul's answer definitively, yes. Yes, he did. God raised Jesus From the dead. Paul says it four times in this fairly short passage. Most clearly, he says it in verse 30, if you would look there. Verse 30, he says it plainly God raised him from the dead. Paul makes the claim that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but it was God Himself who raised Jesus from the dead. And there are Many, many other places in Scripture that affirm this truth of the resurrection. But Paul here, to these people who are yet to believe, they were God-fears, but for some reason they still were yet to believe. They feared God in some kind of reverential way, but yet they were to believe. And he, he seeks to convince them by four times saying that God raised Jesus from the dead. So critical is the resurrection to the Christian faith that Paul seeks to make it very, very clear. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the most important event in all of history. The most important event in all of history. Nothing surpasses the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our faith is founded on the fact of the resurrection. In fact, if you take the resurrection away from the Christian faith, it all falls down. It all falls flat. The Apostle Paul says in Corinthians this way, he, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, 
Your faith, we might as well just pack up shop and go home now. Your faith is futile and you are dead in your sins. But praise the Lord, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised up by the mighty power of God and he is alive today and ministering grace to his people and calling people to himself who don't know him. He is eager to call you if you don't know him. He's calling to you that you might come to him this morning. Now you may be sitting there and you say, that's fine for you to say, preacher, that Jesus has arisen from the dead. But what other proof do we have? Well, we have many proofs. In fact, there is much evidence. There are many reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. First and foremost is what I already said. Well, God's word repeatedly tells us that it's so. And if we are willing, hear this, if we're willing to say, yeah, God's word, okay, I may grant you that it says that Jesus has arisen from the dead, but I don't exactly believe that. Well, when you do that, just recognize you're taking the entire, entire Bible and saying, I don't believe it, and you're closing the book. You're saying, if you say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, well, then what can you believe about this book at all? If it lies in one part, why would it not lie in another part? And if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then the Bible's out. We can't use it any longer. And I don't think any of us in this room want ever to say that the Bible is out, that the Bible is a lie. So that's reason number one. God repeatedly tells us so in his word. Secondly, Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to many people over 40 days There were many eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. In fact, in in this passage right here, it says that there were many witnesses. And for many days, he says, verse 31, for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Over those 40 days, Jesus ate with them and sat with them. You may recall one of his own disciples who who doubted and, and said after the crucifixion, he said, unless I see him, unless I put my hands in his side where he was wounded, I will not believe. And you know who that was. That's where we get the, the term doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas put his hand on the wound of Jesus Christ. It was guided there by Jesus himself. He appeared to many. He, he ate with them. He was touched. He was not a ghost. He wasn't a phantom. He was real in life. Thousands upon thousands of people came to Jesus Christ. If he were a phantom, if this were a hoax, none of, none of those people would have come and believed that. In fact, in the book of Acts, we have recorded the very first sermon that was preached after the resurrection. Peter preached a powerful sermon. And people, having seen the change in these disciples, who were many of these disciples? They were fishermen. They were common folk. There was a tax collector. There were people that, that you wouldn't normally think would be overly religious people who had been changed by the Lord. And they saw that. And when Peter preached that sermon, the Holy Spirit moved upon thousands of people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. People don't believe hoaxes, especially when those hoaxes are proven to be true. And you know this about, about life, that, that the truth over time emerges. Yeah, we can pull the wool over people's eyes perhaps for a time, but the truth emerges. You know what the truth was? 
is that the very guards who were at the tomb, what did they do? When the stone was rolled away, and by the way, the angel didn't roll the stone away to let, to let Jesus out. Jesus was already gone. The angel rolled the stone away so people could look in there and see that he was already gone. And the guards, what did they do in response? They went into town and they told the story of the, the fact that Christ was no longer there. They had no reason to carry on that witness. They weren't looking to forward the Christian faith, but that's what they said. They were witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Another reason, and I find this one compelling, for the the truth and the fact of the resurrection is that many of the apostles, what happened with them after the resurrection? Well, they went on to plant churches and, and preach the gospel, and many of them died proclaiming the faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you, if some claim that the uh, disciples, they just stole the body and said, oh yeah, he's alive, he's alive. See, the grave is empty. Well, tell me, what person would willfully die for something that they knew to be a hoax? Who would do that? Perhaps someone might die for something that they think is true, but that's a hoax. But no one is willing to give their life defending a truth that is fact not true and they know it no one would do that each of these disciples turned apostles they died defending the faith they wouldn't do that if this wasn't true for these and many other reasons dear friends this morning we have confidence we can be assured that in fact Jesus Christ did rise from the dead the bible intends that we believe in the resurrection in fact uh, this is interesting that that the uh, the book of acts and the gospel of luke is written by a surgeon he was careful with his details the surgeon's name is in fact luke that's why it's called the gospel of luke He writes for this very purpose that we might be certain of what we've been taught. He says it here, that you may have certainty regarding the things you have been taught. This is no disorderly account. This is not just some hearsay tale, something to make us gather on a Sunday morning and and feel good about ourselves. No, this is historical fact, eyewitnesses, people dying for the faith. Defending it because it is true. The resurrection is the most important fact in all of human history. I see no evidence to believe to the contrary. I see no reason not to believe it. In fact, I I find many reasons, many evidences of the fact that this is true. So let's just say for the sake of the argument for the moment that you are convinced that the resurrection did, in fact, happen, which leads us to the second question. The second question now appears before us. What difference does the resurrection make? Answer, it makes all the difference in the world. Why? Because the resurrection is good news. Listen to how Paul says it here. Again, I want to convince you from not my words, but the text of Scripture. Look at verse 32 and 33. He says, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. 
What is Paul saying here? Do you, do you see the connection he's making between the good news and the resurrection? The resurrection is good news because it means God fulfilled his promise. And what was the promise that God had made? Well, God made a promise. Already back in the Garden of Eden... You know, on Friday night we gathered and we heard about the the agony of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, he had agony in the Garden of Gethsemane because there was first agony in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, our first parents, turned their back on the Lord and sinned against him. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, God makes a promise, a promise that I will send a Redeemer And that Redeemer will come and he will crush the head of Satan and vanquish this foe for all time. And the resurrection is good news because God kept his promise. And he sent us a Redeemer and he accomplished his purpose by being raised from the dead. God has fulfilled his promise. Forgiveness of sins is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus, our risen Savior, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating the terror of the night, defeating all foes. Jesus resurrected before us. He is the Lord of all. See, Paul says it again in verse 38. Look what it says there. He says, through this man, who's that? Through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So God fulfilled his promise uh, to send a redeemer through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is made available to us. Dear friends, the good news of Easter morning is that your sins and my sins can be wiped clean, can be wiped away past, present, future wiped clean by the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord because God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. See, if if the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross wasn't acceptable to God, he would have let him stay in the grave. But God accepted Jesus' sacrificial death His substitutionary death. He took our place. We should be the ones on the cross dying for our sins. God substitutionarily took our place. And God resurrecting Jesus from the dead means that he accepted that sacrifice. Dear friends, this is really, really important news. It's not only good news. It's important news. Why? Because we live in a day of false hope for heaven. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of false hope in our world that says, as long as you do from time to time, as long as you do some nice things for people, as long as you occasionally are helpful to people, I mean, not every day, none of us are perfect, right? But as long as you once in a while are nice to people, as long as generally the good outweighs kind of the bad in your life, you know, God will sweep your rug, your sins under the carpet and kind of with a wink of his eye, just let you come into heaven. There's lots of false hope in our world. Dear friend, that is completely false hope. Because there's nowhere in Scripture where we read that. 
There's nowhere in Scripture. If we can get to heaven on the basis of some good works that we do, well then why did Jesus die on the cross? His death would have been in vain. But His death, as we know and praise the Lord, it was not in vain. My friend, don't bank, do not bank your eternal future on some wishful thinking that, you know, hopefully my good will outweigh my bad and and God will, you know, smile upon me when I die and he'll let me into heaven. Don't bank on that because it's false hope. It's not real. No, the only hope for me and the only hope for you is to stand under the blood of Jesus Christ and have its cleansing flow come over us And forgive our every last sin. That is our only hope. Because by repenting of our sins and turning to the resurrected Christ for forgiveness, that's the only way we can escape the condemnation of hell. The condemnation of hell. And instead we can spend eternity in heaven by standing under the cross and receiving the forgiveness that Christ died to give us. Do you hear his mercy this morning? He died for you. He came for you. That you might live through him. That you by his death may be freed from what the law could never do. See, when Chris was reading through the, the New City Catechism this morning, I didn't, didn't know what that, I forgot which catechism we were on, but, it, but it, it dovetails perfectly with what this says. Look at verse 39. Paul is saying this, By him, Jesus, by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. There's something that living according to the law of Moses, there's something that it couldn't do. What is it that the law couldn't do? Here's what it is. It couldn't free us from sin. It couldn't do it. As Chris said this morning, what the law did was a tutor, a schoolmaster. It it brought us to our need for Christ. Seeking to obey the law, it does something. It helps us to see, wow, I don't obey the law, right? Sometimes when we, when we actually see the, the law and seek to obey it, we're reminded, wow, I, I can't do this. I, I need someone to help me. I need a Savior. I sin. I fail. I, I fall short of God's mark of holiness. So the law couldn't do it, but God, through his resurrecting Jesus Christ, he can. He can. He can save you. In fact, I, I like the word that he used. He, he, he's freed us. The shackles are, are falling off. See, see, when Jesus was resurrected in power, it was like he was putting the key into the shackles that are on your wrists. The shackles of sin which we, which we drag all around us. And until he puts that key by faith in the shackles of our hearts, we're still bound in sin. And Jesus, through the mighty resurrection, he has the key now to unshackle you and set you free. He says this in John eight thirty six. He says, so if the Son sets you free, what? You are free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Free from sin. Free from fear. Free from 
death. What is it that gives you hope in the middle of the night when you worry about your future? What is it that gives you joy in life when things aren't happening in your life the way that you were hoping they would happen? What is it that enables you to wake up tomorrow morning, regardless of your circumstances, and say, I know the Lord is with me today. I know that he's going to carry me today. What is it? It's because by grace, if God loves you enough to send Jesus to forgive your sin by dying on that cross, he is going to carry you. He is going to continue to give you the grace to walk the road, whatever that road may look like. He has come to set you free. He's come to set you free. I want to illustrate one thing in particular, dear friends. He's come to set you free of guilt. In our lives, we do things for which we're deeply regretful. In our lives, we can really hurt people. In our lives, we can do things that we just know are are shameful, but in the moment we yield to it and we walk around at times with shame. Some of you have heard me share this story before, but it, it does illustrate the point. So when I was young, growing up in Connecticut with my mom and dad who are here today, um, um, there was this one young girl. I was around seven or eight years old, and this young girl was about the same age. She came to our house for uh, a few days of respite and vacation. I didn't know this girl, um, and uh, but she came to our house. Our house was filled with kids. And, um, and so she came for a few days of respite, and I had a red bike and I loved my red bike. <laughs> I think I still have a little problem with that. But um, I, I loved my red bike. And uh, she started eyeing up my red bike. And I was like, <laughs> no girl's going to sit on my bike. So this is terrible. What I did was I took my bike when I saw her eyeing it up. And I put it in the garage and locked the door. What a jerk. <laughs> my dad saw it and disciplined me. Rightly so. He may not remember that, but he did, rightly so. I want to tell you, I carried the guilt, not because of his discipline, but because of my action. I carried the guilt as an eight-year-old kid. My heart was, was it sounds like I was very insensitive, which at times I was. But um, to the Lord, he was already creating a sensitivity to the Lord. And I carried the guilt of that. I said sorry to my dad. I said sorry to that girl. But you know what? It wasn't until I confessed my sin to the Lord that he took away the guilt that I felt in my heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? Guilt that shackles us in life. Jesus came to set you free from the guilt of your sin and mine so that we could we could lift our hands in worship. We can say, oh, praise the one who's paid my debt. So that we can rejoice that, that regardless of what happens today, and we don't know what happens tomorrow, we know this, that Christ has paid our debt. And that we are free from the guilt of our sins because 
God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and he raised him up from the dead. And Jesus is alive now forever and he's coming again and he's coming to redeem and restore all things to himself. But if, friend, if you don't know the forgiveness of Christ, then your guilt remains upon you. And Jesus, this morning, I said he was here, he's here. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to come to him and receive his forgiveness. And like a gift on Christmas morning, if, we, if it just sits there and we don't actually receive it, then we don't have the benefit of it. He says, oh, come to me this morning. I have grace for your life. I have grace for forgiveness. I will wipe away your guilt. I will wipe away your shame. All this happens when we come to Jesus Christ and we fall at his feet and say, Lord, you're right. I am a sinner. I, I need a Savior. And I need you to come and restore me and redeem me. And you know what? Everyone who comes to him, everyone who comes to him, he receives with gladness. He doesn't receive you this morning like, okay, you can come. I guess we'll let you squeak through. No, he came to die that you might come to him. And he has grace for you this morning. So will you come and receive that grace this morning? He wants to give it to you. Do you receive that grace this morning? He's offering it to you. The forgiveness of all of your sins. How can we turn this offer down? Who's going to love you like Jesus loves you? We're the ones who sinned. He takes the punishment. Who loves like that? Dear friend, Come to the Lord this morning. Come to him. You can search the whole world over. You can find things that may please your heart for a moment. But the reality is you were shaped for God. I was reminded of a song. I'm dating myself now. I was reminded of a song in the early 90s by the band Extreme. I don't know if anyone in this room ever remembers. But the song was... Uh, call wholehearted. And the tagline, I just listened to it last night to get the words right. The tagline said, there's a hole in my heart that can only be filled by you. There's a hole in my heart that can only be filled by you. And then he says, now I'm going to get this second line wrong, but he says something to the effect of, and the hole in my heart can't be filled by the things that I do. And the whole song is an admission that this guy, this, this songwriter, it was a wildly popular song in 1991. The whole song is an admission that he's looking the world over for peace, for satisfaction, for joy. And all of his ventures have seemed to him like taking a square peg and trying to fit it in a round hole. And that's when he says, there's a hole in my heart. That can only be filled by you. I don't know if he's talking about his girlfriend or whatever. But the fact is it's true of us in Jesus Christ. We can search the world over. We can look for all kinds of things to bring satisfaction and joy and happiness. But we will not find it, dear friends, until we find it in him. A different songwriter said it far more concisely when he said this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. 
A heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And so I want to, uh, I want to invite the band to come and join me on the stage as we prepare to sing of the living hope. But while, while we do that, I want to ask you once more, will you receive the joy this morning? Will you receive the joy of your sins being fully and freely forgiven? Will you come to Jesus this morning, the one who died on Good Friday, was resurrected on Resurrection Sunday, and now the one who stands before you offering you freedom, offering you to un lock the shackles that bind you. He's offering it to you this morning. Will you come to him? Will you receive his grace? Will you take that into your heart and believe it as unto yourself? Because for everyone who comes, he will not cast us out, but he will give us eternal life. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Do you want to be cleansed of sin? Do you want to be freed from every last stain of guilt? My heart was set free after that time of guilt. When I came to the Lord, the Lord wants to do the same thing for you this morning if you don't know him. Will you come? Will you receive from the Lord? Because he wants to give you a living joyful, abiding hope. This is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's about hope. It's about joy. It's about life eternal. Because Jesus vanquished the grave. He beat death. He conquered sin. And he has everlasting life for all who come to him. Would you receive him this morning? Would you come to him this morning? Dear Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are such a merciful God that in great love for humanity you would send your own dear son into the world that by faith in his death for us you would give us eternal life. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your kindness in sending Christ. And thank you, Lord, as well for the good news of this gospel, that by believing in Jesus Christ, we can have the cleansing that comes from no other source. We could look the world over. We won't find it. It's right here as Jesus is here. And so, Lord, we believe. We believe. Lord, we cast our sins to you. We ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we ask that you would make us new creatures. That you would restore relationship with us. That we might have a living hope. God, we love you, we praise you, and we turn to you now. And everyone together said, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing our closing song?